There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. This is a WTOP original podcast. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. We've heard this a few times, but here it is again. Was it a mistake for the U.S. to allow a Chinese spy balloon to traverse from Pacific to Atlantic coast? I think if they had known prior to, if they had known that there were going to be high resolution photos or collection against corporate communications, those types of things. Yeah, they might have been inclined to take it down earlier before it even got to the U.S. Nicholas Eftimiadis, former U.S. senior intelligence officer, explains, and he tells us what China likely got. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. We promised you this one a couple of weeks ago, but we're just now getting to it because of breaking news. It seems as though China continues to break the rules here in the U.S. and internationally. And we learned not long ago that that balloon that floated across the U.S. indeed did capture some information, some intelligence. We spoke with uh, Nicholas Eftimiades about that. He's a former U.S. intelligence, senior U.S. intelligence uh, officer. In fact, he's retired now. And he joins us right now today to talk to us about this. What do you think China was doing with that balloon? It actually confirms what I had said earlier, was that um, uh, high-frequency communications for the military were one aspect they were clearly um, clearly collecting. And the military basically said as much in saying that we were able to limit what China was able to collect. And the translation of that means we stopped transmitting uh, so that China wasn't able to collect those signals. Uh, what is sort of interesting, um, and what this whole discussion brings out, is what's the definition of security for us as a country? Military is very focused on its equities. Yes, we were able to stop them, to slow them down. They were able to collect minimally. Now that they've seen the equipment that China had, right? So they say, ah, okay, this receiver is able to collect these types of communications, and we were able to shut that down. Now, were they able to stop uh, China collecting if it was 5G communications? Oh, no, they weren't. Uh, were they able to stop China from high-resolution photos? which would be better than from space. Um, they weren't able to do that either, or at least, you know, not, not, not for the population, not for critical infrastructure, 
maybe for their own military equities. So it, it does lead to the question, you know, we know some of what they were collecting, clearly targeting against military communications, right? And the military was able to protect itself. We don't know the full breadth of what they were collecting and what their collection target set looked like. Do you think the U.S. is surprised or the intelligence folks that are looking at this are surprised now that they've said what they've said about what China was collecting? Uh, and would that have changed their calculus in terms of when to take this balloon down? I think if they had known prior to, um, you know, known more significantly prior to, for example, if they had known that there were going to be high resolution photos or collection against corporate communications, those types of things. Yeah, they might have been inclined to take it down earlier before it even got to the U.S. Uh, but I think, you know, our, our services, we have a long history of believing that national security is centered around government and around secrets. Okay? China doesn't play that game, and that's the problem. China's looking more at their commercial collection, at taking intellectual property and trade secrets and such, uh, and, and, and um, expanding their business worldwide at the expense of U.S. industries. And that still doesn't resonate within our, our federal government. They're coming to that understanding, but they're also at a lack of, of, of understanding understanding of what to do about it. Okay, well, that was my question. So assuming they get this now, what 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 options do they have in terms of doing something about this? Well, I, I think you're going to have to see a lot of sort of restructuring on the way the FBI approaches the problem, on the way our counterintelligence apparatus approaches the problem, that they have to far, form a far greater relationship with private industry uh, to ensure that, that the economic base and the technological base of the United States is protected. Right now, we don't have that ability. We relegate it to, to doing briefings, annual briefings, and, you know, tell us when there's a problem. That, that's one thing, but it's not, it's not doing the job. So they, they do have to look at a restructuring, and Congress should be leading this. So if you restructure it, do you have any thoughts about what that new structure should look like? Yeah, I think that um, as a, in the counterintelligence world, uh, which is just gonna which is gonna play a big part. We have to have somebody in charge. Right now we really don't. We have the National Counterintelligence and Security Center, but they're not in charge of anything. Uh, they're not in charge of, of counterintelligence in the United States. You have to have someone in charge for a start. You have to have embeds into private industry. And to major private industry, you really have to put embeds to see and understand exactly what's going on. Uh, we need to move towards legislation. We still have companies that are selling to China and and selling stuff that's being used in hypersonic warfare to develop hypersonic warfare and China's space capabilities. And it's just such a big apparatus out there, industry, and these companies are, are beholden to their stockholders. So there needs to be a little tighter regulatory regime that says, hey, look, if, if you have an understanding that these are, are are you know working with Chinese military, you cannot sell to them, and then there have to be penalties in place if they do. So yeah. a lot of restructuring on how we approach business. So you mentioned the embeds piece. So wouldn't that, if 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 the government had people embedded in corporations, wouldn't that kind of make that a bit of a quasi-governmental organization, and essentially that makes it kind of what we are talking about China doing, having... No, uh, no, different, different approach. China has a uh, you know, very, very heavy military defense 
embed into their into their industries. What we're talking about here is similar to what Defense Counterintelligence Security Agency has, which is um, a program of certification for businesses doing uh, doing business with the Defense Department, where they have inspectors that go around, where they have um, uh, standards that have to be met in order to do business. And they have individuals going around checking for inspections and working with those businesses to ensure that their security is acceptable to be able to do business with DOD. Uh, so you, you need something like that in a little grander scale where we're working closer with industry. And that embed doesn't have to be full time, but there do, do have to be uh, sort of standards that we expect industry to do to maintain security in the United States. So, OK, back to what China was doing. Um I know you or you're you're not not in the in, in intel government part of the world. I know you're not in the government part of the intel world anymore, but you still have a good sense of where things stand and how things work. What do you think China was able to 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 gather or possibly gather and what are they able to do with it? Is it is it of any use to them? Yeah, well, there are two. Let's talk about the kind of national security directly with the traditional national security um, uh, collection objectives. So it would have been high frequency communications coming out of the military bases coming out into, right? Those frequencies bounce off the ionosphere. So the only way you can really grab them is if you're within the atmosphere. So they they swept up and collected as much of them as they could before DOD cut it off. And I think there were probably seven bases that they overflew to make those collections. Uh, there's also the communications between the, between military bases and our satellite systems, DSP, our, our, our communication satellite systems that uh, are overhead over the continental United States. If you're sitting in between that communications between the satellite and the base, you can suck up the uh, the communications between. And even if it's encrypted, over time, the expectation is that you'll break the encryption. So that's a second component of what they're likely to do on military uh, in a military collection. The next one would be um, uh, photography. If they have, you know, very, very high resolution, if they had a high resolution camera system, then they can take a look at things like radar domes and they can take, and you can go from that uh, you can work from that and see exactly what frequencies uh, companies or military are communicating on. So, just wrapping all these things up—that's sort of a bulk of what they were what they were looking to collect, and probably what they did, and then transmitted. And as you've heard, that that communi uh, those communications were relayed to Beijing. So, you know, that, that that's what they were able to get their arms around. It'll lead them to further research. Actually, last but not least is atmospheric testing. Because if you're going to fine tune things like hypersonic missile systems or ballistic missile systems, you really need an understanding of the atmosphere and different levels of the atmosphere and, and you know, what they're generally like in your target area. So yeah. I'm sure they were doing that type of atmospheric collection as well. Could any of the U.S.'s other adversaries benefit from this? Well, if China's working to share the information, number one, um, I don't think they're going to. And the only one, you know, they, they may, or they're, they're SIGIN stations abroad. Um, they, you know, they'll, they'll certainly tune those so that they're better able to collect against the U.S. But it's a political judgment. And I, I just don't know whether they'd be willing to risk that and sharing it with their allies. Mm. Is there any way 
you see Russia benefiting from this because of this new, newfound uh, affinity that China and Russia have for each other, certainly Xi and Putin? Well, um, yeah, interesting question. Uh, China would like nothing more than Russia to fall into line as a junior partner. Okay, so I, I I don't think that they want to see Russia make a gigantic win over the Ukraine. They're fine with a little beaten down Russia that's under um, that's under sanctions from the West because that just drives Russia into China's hands, forces Russia to to sell oil. Now they have to too, so they'll be building pipelines. So I, I'm I'm sure she is thrilled that they're able to move them in to an alliance and as a junior partner. So uh, as, as for this specific espionage, uh, it isolates us a little more from China. And this is why the administration doesn't want to release a heck of a lot on this, because the public reaction and the reaction from Congress uh, at a time when the administration is trying to figure out how to lower tensions. So this is probably you know the, the information they don't really want to get public. Uh, but the more that happens, the more China is going to be isolated from us and the more it it solidifies their relationship with russia or it could solidify the relationship you know um the um the reason i asked that question is because back when edward snowden did what he did and fled the u.s the first place he went was china but then he ended up in russia and that's a part of the reason why i'm asking this question um i'm not sure if there was if there was actually, it was if it was planned that way for him to end up in Russia to make that stop in China and then end up in Russia. But you know, you have to think about the possibility of that, considering just how big a deal what he did was to the U.S. How much damage was done? That's the reason I asked that question about a possible Russia-China partnership on intelligence. Do you get the sense that something like that exists, or was that Snowden thing a one-off? And is this whole balloon thing a possible, another possible area of collaboration? I think, um, I don't think it's an area of collaboration. I think China may trade the data with Russia. You know, they, they may swap that type of intelligence data. They do swap intelligence data. So, uh, you know, we have agreements to work with them on counterterrorism. So we share data. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be too surprised if they shared that data, but but not for a while. They're certainly going to wait for things to calm down significantly. The other side of that question is, has Russia shared the data that they got from Snowden's two million documents? Have they shared that with China and how much have they shared it? So I, I'm, I'm sure they'll come to some agreements, as most nations do, for intelligence sharing arrangements. Right. One other thing about this uh, on the Russia side, um, any way you see um, this benefiting Russia in its war with Ukraine? Any possible sharing of this data? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I'm not thinking through all the components of it because Russia's on the ground in Ukraine. They have the same ability to collect um, military communications on the ground. So probably not that. The satellite uh, dimension of it, what they might have collected against satellites, possibly there's something there in sharing the information. But uh, And that might you know, help Russia in its, in 
its activities in Ukraine, but not so directly. I don't think so. This is more of a strategic overall um, collection campaign. I don't think it's going to help with the operational or tactical environment in the Ukraine. So a um, couple more things back on the, the China uh, initiative to do this and the U.S. discovering, as you say now, that maybe they did or they definitely did uh, collect and not sure what they did with what they collected. Um, so what did the U.S. learn from this? What do you think they learned from this that could be useful um, moving forward, looking at what China did here? Well, there, there are a couple of things. I mean, they've already pulled out Western components out of China's balloon. So the question is, you know, what is wrong with our system that we're selling stuff to China that's being turned and used against us? There should be a legislative or a policy reaction to that, you know, at some point. Number one, how how open we are and is that too much? Uh, number two, they're learning a bit about China's, let's say, it's the wrong term, but let's say arrogance. You know, what China, what steps China's willing to go to, you know, for for collection against U.S. targets? I mean, this this theoretically could, could send the relationship back quite a bit. Um, so that's another component that the United States is going to have to learn to wrestle with what China is willing to do foreign policy wise and it's global, you know, in its global affairs, its global activities to work against, uh, against the U.S. We have a lot to kind of consider and, and to think how to respond. How much did this uh, hurt U.S. national security? Um, it's. It's a little difficult to tell without further information. We know somewhat that it hurt U.S. national security. Uh, we don't know the extent of it. We don't know how much is collected against what bases or against what civilian targets um, and, and how that feeds into China's plans. So there are more questions on what we don't know rather than what we do know. Uh, but what we do know, and considering China has done this all over the world, is that China is on a very, very aggressive collection campaign. And they have, you know, a global, you know, I won't say dominance, that's a very strong word, but they certainly have global um, expansion in their in their sites. And that's why they're doing this worldwide. I guess one more thing I'd like to follow up. Um, is there a way to stop China from doing this? There's, there's absolutely a way. Uh, the question is, you know, first off, if we're smart enough to kind of and um, strong enough to make these sorts of decisions, we have a very, very heavily dependent economic relationship with China. And China uses that to control the way the U.S. behaves. So the question is, are, are we strong enough to tell our own companies, sorry, you can't sell these components anymore, period. Um, you know, you know, we're, we're going to suffer economically if we do that. Uh, so. Um, there's a lot of things. There's building with allies. That's a big part that we need to expand a lot more, not only in the intelligence sharing arrangements, which are quietly kept, but uh, uh, in the public sphere as well. Uh, and and I would say that you you need to that this administration, all administrations, need to be a little more open with the American public as on what's going on, because you know you saw the reaction on the American public when this issue first came out. They need to understand a little more how the nature of the relationship between the United States, between the Western world and China. And, you know, the U.S. government isn't doing a good job at all on sharing that information. 
Is there anything you want to add that I haven't asked you about that you think is important as we consider the ramifications of this and what we've learned now that perhaps the U.S. regrets not shooting that balloon down? Yeah, I, I think there's just a couple of things to put stop my last point. I, I think the U.S. has to decide how it's going to deal with its own population and how it's going to deal with China. Because, you know, President Biden and and others and generals have said, oh, nothing new here. You know, this type of stuff is usual for us. But the American public didn't know. And, you know, they didn't know how intrusive and how aggressive China was. And on the on the heels of COVID, now they're learning that. So they're learning about what China's really like, you know, what the CCP is really like. And, and that's really important for democracy to thrive. You can't hide all that. You shouldn't hide all that from the public. So, I mean, obviously secrets you do, but but those types of things you really shouldn't hide if democracy is really going to work. So yeah. that, that's something that, the, that it's not in the government's interest to do. It just makes their lives more difficult, but they really do need to do it. That's Nicholas Eftimiades, a retired U.S. government senior intelligence officer. We'll be back to this story very soon. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky's got a serious concern. Politically, for him, it's very difficult because anything less than driving Russians out will be politically dangerous for him. Stephen Erlanger is based in Brussels. He's the New York Times chief diplomatic correspondent. There's just nervousness, particularly in political Europe as the war goes on. He says the political hand-wringing is about more than just the fighting. How long it will go on, how much it will end up costing, where it will end up, what happens to prices, um, what happens to food prices. And what happens to their leadership. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast.